of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you, as always, I am your ever-so-humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming live from historic Rome County, Tennessee, and we are broadcasting live. I'm so very happy to be with you. Uh, time of the live broadcast, you know, for the benefit of those of you who may be hearing the rebroadcast later, it's Friday. Yes, that's right. It's Friday evening. It is currently March the 12th. It's 2021. And it's a few brief moments after 7 p.m. Eastern. Aha! What a day. Okay, so show of hands, everybody. And so far, I've got one person in the chat room. That's Chief. Uh, we'll probably have a few folks meandering a little later. Uh, Fridays usually have a, uh, a deeper bench for some reason here in, the, here in the chat room. But it happens a little over time. So uh, show of hands, who... Who actually watched the Joe Biden press, whatever you want to call it? Because it certainly wasn't like a standard formatted uh, press conference. It was, uh, I am giving you a statement uh, of half-truths and complete lies, and uh, someone must bring me my pudding now kind of deal. And – I asked the question of who watched it because I myself didn't. I didn't watch it. I, I did not. I had planned to. I had every intention of doing it, but then had something pop up, and I simply 
was busy while it was going on. Now that, of course, has not stopped the nonstop, overdone discussions and contemplations of it. So I've heard a lot of other people's take on it with a few audio clips here and there and understanding the way that game is played, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on. I know that uh, those clips may be a reasonable representation of what Joe Biden said, or they may be taken terribly, horribly, ridiculously out of context. Now, it's impossible. So based on what I've heard and based on everything, I'm going to withhold uh, any type of analysis because I simply have not paid enough attention to give you my own analysis. And just repeating somebody else's, well, that's not really analysis, is it? I will, however, over the course of the next few days, take some time, and I will watch it because it is certainly available. Uh, Chief in the chat room says that uh, he missed it as well. Uh, he was seriously going to watch it, but uh, at the last minute, I thought of an excuse. <laughs> well, that works out pretty well too. I, I think he's just mocking me, but uh, <laughs> that may be the case too. I don't know. Uh, at any rate, there are other things going on, by the way, and so we'll we'll talk about some of these other things. But I do have two count them one two uh, guests scheduled for today. Uh, we first, bottom of the first hour, have Troy Anderson. Uh, he is one of the co-authors of the book The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. Uh, we'll be talking about a lot of the things that are currently ongoing, uh, like the crisis at the southern border, and how these things may actually relate to the Great Reset. Ooh. Uh, because, uh, believe it or not, without any prompting from me, both Troy and the good general that uh, he co-wrote with, uh, we're talking about – I'm not, sorry, not general. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about a, another guest upcoming. Uh, he co-wrote the book with retired U.S. Army chaplain Colonel David Gamona. So, uh, yeah, I – that's a colonel. I, I'm giving – uh, David, a promotion. Uh, if he had not retired at this point, I'm sure he probably would be promoted by now. <laughs> anyway, so we'll be talking with Troy. Now, Troy himself is actually an award-winning uh, investigative journalist in his own right, as well as the uh, co-author of multiple books. There are links in the show description to his website where you can see some of the other stuff he's written, as well as to the military guide to Armageddon. So feel free to follow that if you wish. And then at the bottom of the second hour, I'm scheduled to be joined once again by Dr. Bruce Hartman. Now, Dr. Bruce Hartman, of course, is a, a Christian author, and uh, his most recent outing uh, was Spend the Year with Jesus. Now, uh, we have had a few conversations with Dr. Hartman, and I always enjoy our uh, visits, so uh, he'll be coming along again, only rather than discussing the book in depth, we're actually going to take a look at some of this cancel culture targeting of the last few weeks. You know, things like uh, the attempt to cancel Dr. Seuss and uh, the Muppets and 
the multiple Warner Brother cartoon characters, Pepe Le Pew, Speedy Gonzalez, the attempt to neuter Mr. Potato Head, uh, you know, just some of these things that we've seen ongoing. Uh, we'll be discussing those things and why the left continues to target younger and younger audience. <laughs> Chief responded, by the way, he said, yes, I was mocking. I didn't watch it because I went full Biden. I totally spaced it. <laughs> and fair enough, kind sir, fair enough. All right, so uh, before time for our first guest, like I said, there are things ongoing. And one of the things that I really wanted to get to today is something that I have mentioned kind of in passing uh, recently. And want to get a little more in depth because the saga is continuing, and this also goes back to the digital book burning uh, episode I did just a couple of episodes ago because this is basically still the same thing. Uh, Amazon, of course, has decided that it is going to be very, very um, – what's, what's the word here? Selective. Well, that, that sounds good. It, it – it institutes exactly what they're up to, and it doesn't sound like I'm being overly unfair to them. Uh, Amazon's decided they're going to be very selective about the books they're selling in the future, and one of the things they've decided now is they're just going to flat out not have any books available on their platform that frames transgenderism as a mental illness. Now, you'll remember I mentioned uh, – was it early this week or late last week? I don't recall uh, exactly, but uh, recently that a certain book uh, that goes by the title of When Harry Became Sally, it was removed from the Amazon platform. Now, I mentioned that because it was a copy of a book that I actually had, and I loaned it out, and it is gone now. But one of the things that impressed me from the very beginning was that in this book, there was a very real effort to simply dis discuss the debate on how best to treat gender dysphoria. It wasn't about attacking any particular group of people. It was about discussing the best ways to treat gender dysphoria, and I'm going to continue to put it like that because when people say, ooh, mental illness, suddenly people get all up in arms. Uh, despite the fact I thought the left had bought off the horrible stigma that goes with mental illness, and now we're just all supposed to feel compassion. But now we can't say that somebody that's in that beautiful and ever-expanding plethora of letters and signals, LGBTQ+, plus XMD, A, A uh, bingo, uh, <laughs> we're not allowed to disparage any member of any one of those groupings. Well, is it disparaging to call a spade a spade? Is it disparaging to speak truth? Only if you want to live in a fantasy, which, of course, the left desires to do. But at any rate, let's get back to this story. Amazon has banned books that frame transgenderism as a mental illness. The online retailer disclosed the new policy back on Thursday after very quietly pulling a book on transgenderism by author Ryan Anderson from its site earlier this year. That, of course, is a book I'm talking about when Harry became Sally. Now, the company explained its decision to ban Anderson's book in a letter. 
responding to questions from Republican Senators Marco Rubio of Florida, Mike Lee of Utah, Mike Braun of Indiana, and of course the new firebrand of the Republican Party, Josh Hawley of Missouri. In the letter they said, quote, As a bookseller, we provide our customers with access to a variety of viewpoints, including books that some customers may find objectionable. A discourse coming from Brian Huseman, who happens to be the Amazon vice president of public policy. Now, in this letter, which was also obtained by the Wall Street Journal, and they reported it there. That's where I'm pulling the quotes for the letter from. Amazon works hard to ensure customers have a great shopping experience and access to the widest and most diverse cross-section of written and spoken word in retail today. Aw, they work so hard. They do such a good job. And, and, you know, actually, uh, <laughs> I'm being a little sarcastic in my tone, but truthfully, Amazon has done a phenomenal job to go from a online used bookseller to the preeminent retail force in the world today. Uh, that's – I'm going to be uh, very cautious and measured in my statement and say that's impressive. It might lead somebody like Jeff Bezos to believe he's a little bigger than – he really is, but uh, anyway, back to the quote. That said, we reserve the right not to sell certain content. All retailers make decisions about what selection they choose to offer, as do we. As to your question specifically about when Harry became Sally, we have chosen not to sell books that frame LGBTQ plus identity as a mental illness. Okay. I have a few fundamental problems with that in so much as they're trying to hide behind the good old – Association, uh, freedom of association, and private business, uh, free to do private business things montage when they're actually denying people the ability to gain access to certain uh, materials. They have yet to remove Mind Comp. They have yet to remove, well, Let's just say there's a truckload of things that are offensive, but they're hiding behind that adage as an excuse, and I'll tell you what I mean as we kind of continue because Anderson himself, he discovered that Amazon had pulled his book from the online store. He figured that out last month, and he went public, and that's about the time I found about about it, and I mentioned it recently here. Uh, others have been mentioning it as well, so for weeks… This was ongoing, and he discovered it's been – we waited and waited, and Anderson directly contacted Amazon, and for weeks Amazon declined to explain to Anderson how his book had violated its policies other than to very vaguely say that uh, they had recently updated policies against hate speech. And again, I'll, I'll remind you there's no hate speech in the book. I'm sorry. Saying someone has a mental disorder when it is classified 
by the American Psychiatric Association as a mental disorder seems to be something that even the left, since the left is very heavy uh, with the American Psychiatric Association, uh, would have a difficulty arguing. Which is why they were very, very vague in the first place. They were trying to find the right wordings. They were looking for a way to justify their excuse. So they vaguely pointed to that. This is hate speech. Again, I remind you, when Harry Became Sally is a book that has no hate speech in it, none. It was written in a very compassionate and thoughtful manner with an argument being made that canceled. Counseling, getting someone to help you work through the issues might be preferable to hormones and self-mutilation. They, of course, call that surgery, but in this case, if you're trying to change your body through surgery, you're you're mutilating yourself. Uh, So at any rate, Anderson responded to Amazon's letter that was just recently… Released uh, this letter to the lawmakers, not the letter sent to Anderson, but the letter sent to the lawmakers. Well, he responded to it over da, 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 the same place all our political discourse happens now, at least if you're a leftist, and some of us more conservative folks tend to, to, to creep over there, and that's, that's Twitter. So Anderson responded by accusing the retailers' executives of mischaracterizing his book and actively siding with one side of a public debate. I believe he's correct on both counts because like I said, I'm, I'm already told you from having a copy of this book, which for some reason I never got back when I well, – I, I should know better than the loan books. I would read it. I already knew it was there, but uh, – it is definitely mischaracterization to refer to it as hate speech, and I tend to think that he's absolutely right also in saying that it appears that the folks at Amazon, the executives at Amazon, have decided that they're picking a side on the debate, and they're trying to squash the conversation. He said, quote, Amazon has finally responded. Everyone agrees that gender dysphoria is a serious condition that causes great suffering. There is a debate, however, which Amazon is seeking to shut down, about how best to treat patients who experience gender dysphoria. Anderson went on to point out that the American Psychiatric Association defines gender dysphoria, which per the APA, refers to psychological distress that results from an incongruence between one's sex assigned at birth and one's gender identity. Well, it defines gender dysphoria as a mental illness. Gender dysphoria is listed in the APA's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which, oh yeah, by the way, evidently in violation of Amazon standards, Amazon still sells. So the real deciding factor seems to be whether or not you endorse hormones and surgery as the proper treatment or counseling. Now, Amazon appears to have never read my book. I'm back to quoting uh, Anderson again. Amazon appears to have never read my book but relied on hit pieces. 
as I pointed out before, please quote the passage where I call them mentally ill. You can't quote that passage because it doesn't exist. This, of course, was Anderson uh, talking to the Daily Signal. This, of course, was him also responding to criticism. Now, Amazon – we all know who Amazon is. They're by far the most dominant book retailer in the United States. They sell right about 53 percent of all physical books sold in the United States and 80 percent of all ebooks. In its response to the Republican senators that we listed earlier, Amazon asserts that it change – it's changing book policy and tactically endorsing one side of the public debate did not represent a wider bias or movement against conservative ideas. I'm going to have to call bovine excrement on that, but that's just me. I tend to think that that is exactly what they're doing here, and I don't understand how it is they believe they can do it, and nobody's going to clue in. Do you honestly believe you're going to be able to convince a reasonable, rational, thinking individual that that's what's at play here? Now, maybe you can as long as nobody's read the book. Maybe you can as long as the only thing they've read about the book is one of the hit pieces – Written by someone else who hasn't actually read the book. Amazon said in its response to those GOP lawmakers that they offer customers across the political spectrum a wide variety of content that includes a wide variety of options. And to a degree, that's true. But how many of you guys are hardcore, long-time Amazon customers? I mean Amazon Prime memberships. You're watching Prime Video. You're signed up to Amazon Music Service. You, you've got all the other stuff. How many of you guys out there fall into that category? Now, I asked you because I – been an Amazon Prime member for a while. Once they blew up and started offering literally everything from A to Z, uh, trademark Amazon, <laughs> it became reasonable to start utilizing the Prime membership. It, it did. Suddenly I could get things cheaper and not have to pay for shipping in a lot of cases and have things always on stock, and I didn't have to go to the mom-and-pop stuff. Now, I have hence moved away from relying so heavily on them as a show, but for a long time it was making sense. It was saving me money, and I'm like I'm all about saving me some money and getting the stuff I need and not have to worry about, well, is it in stock? Now I've moved back towards the realm of eh, the local mom-and-pops need it more, especially since COVID. When places were open, yay. I mean Amazon needed no needed no help whatsoever during COVID. They they were really racking it up. But the point is, if you've been a customer for a while and you've taken advantage of those services and you've been paying attention as to what's been available and compare it to what's available now, you probably have noticed a lot of things, typically things that lean more towards the conservative side have disappeared from the platform. 
a lot of books, a lot of movies, a, a lot of documentaries, a, a lot of self-published stuff that falls into the category of somewhat conservative all the way up to full-blown – they've managed to disappear from the platform. Quick shout-out to the crazy Cajun who's just popped into the chat room. Hey, uh, CC, glad to see you hanging out with us. Happy Friday, sir. So where where does this really come from? What is the end result? Well, I'll tell you. It made me angry that they were using this excuse about the removal of the book because I actually, <laughs> before I heard the story, was thinking I'm probably not going to get my copy back. And it is a useful, passionate uh, conversation piece. So I was thinking about maybe purchasing a, <laughs> a replacement. Now I know I can't do that at Amazon. Now I'm seeing a potentially larger issue at play. That larger issue is what's next? What is next? What gets pulled from our digital book burners? What pieces of information get memory hold? Which which part of 1984 are we living in just yet? Because we're there. I, you name a dystopian future novel that's even remotely uh, close to a realistic future, and we're in some part of that. I mean we're somewhere between 1984 and Brave New World and freaking even Animal Farm. And those are the three examples I keep using the most. Because those are the three that's easiest to draw the comparisons to, and I think most people have read or at least read part of. We're in that part of the reality. <laughs> this is a, not a piece of hate speech. It's just not. And if you don't believe me, I challenge you to go find a copy of this book, obviously not on Amazon… And read it for yourself because it's only by reading it for yourself that you will see what I am telling you to be true. I don't know why I feel so personally invested in this, but it's not like I know Anderson. I mean he I, I was familiar with some of his work with the Heritage Foundation before he went off and wrote this. I was familiar with his name. I had an idea of who he was, but I probably couldn't have and probably still can't pick him out of a, a lineup. It's not like he's my buddy, my friend, me amigo, although I kind of got the impression from having read this and seen some of his other stuff that we probably could be. <laughs> a chief responding to my question a second ago uh, said that we're uh, currently living in the Brave New Animal Farm published in 1984. Uh, <laughs> that I do not doubt, sir. I do not doubt. All right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I really do feel personally invested in this because, again, this is a topic that I feel the sting of. I know some people who have gone through the trials and who are still currently struggling through uh, versions of gender dysphoria. And I'm firmly on board with the position that <clears throat> they have a right 
to be called whatever they want to be called. You know, uh, if, if I know this guy named James, but he thinks uh, he's a woman and wants to be called Samantha, and I know him personally, and then to be polite, I'm going to say, okay, Samantha. I, I might call you Sam for short, but I'm afraid Sam might be offensive because it kind of sounds like our guy's name is Zed, you know, uh, cultural norms and all of that. But you can't force me to go along with your fantasy that you're no longer a male, and I'm, I'm not going to play that game. Between talks with various guests, experts in the field, including people who have gone through gender dysphoria for the majority of their lives, previous guests of the show, I've come to realize how touchy of a subject this is and how many therapists literally have their hands tied… How many of these folks, as soon as they say, I think I may be transgendered, suddenly aren't even allowed to talk about most forms of treatment anymore? They're supposed to turn them over to a medical physician to start a regimen of hormone blockers and uh, the mutilation of surgery. I, I feel this personal bit because these people truly are suffering. If you have gender dysphoria, you're truly suffering, and part of that suffering, you, you need the type of help that can be provided through counseling. Even if you get the other recommended courses of treatment, you're still going to need counseling. Surgery alone isn't going to cut it. <laughs> I, I did not mean <laughs> – <laughs> to have a pun there, but now all of a sudden I'm like, wow, that uh, that doesn't sound at all like what you meant, Tim. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, surgery alone may cut something, but uh, it's not going to solve the problem. And for when Harry became Sally to be removed from Amazon, it's just another blatant attempt to take one side of the cultural debate. And it really, really handicaps the fact that uh, a lot of these people, they have one of the highest, highest rates of suicide out there. When you break down the statistics, it's just horrific. All right, let me uh, go ahead and uh, hit uh, the break here, and uh, on the flip side, we will be joined by today's guest. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. It's not so unbelievable that governments would want to disarm their citizens, but that citizens would beg to be disarmed by their government is a much scarier thought. We've seen government control most recently in Venezuela, where citizens are left to defend themselves against a violent government by throwing rocks, because not too long ago, they were disarmed by that very government under the guise of gun safety. Gun control laws like the ones in Venezuela are exactly what our political left in America would like to see here. As a mother, I am terrified. I have four children in our public school system, and if they knew that their teachers were potentially carrying a gun... They want to be disarmed by our government so badly that they protest in the streets, demanding that government take away their rights. All for that assault weapons ban, to keep these weapons of war out of the hands of civilians who do not need them. All for the prohibition of high-capacity magazines, because no hunter will ever need access to a magazine that can kill 17 in mere minutes. How does this happen? Well, it's complicated, but it starts with very powerful propaganda 
targeted at people who can't think. People who have been taught to believe that freedom is dangerous. People who can't think for themselves are targeted from many directions, schools, movies, news sources, and even their own friends and family. And once they're on board with the anti-gun fear campaign, they continue to perpetuate the irrational gun fear. Well, they have to justify their position, right? Also yeah. don't need home protection. Um, you, don't, you don't need guns for home protection. You don't want to bring more guns into a situation. The answer to solving violence is not more violence. Gun fear is cultivated purely for the purpose of gun control support. But the people who spread it don't always know that they've been misled. They think they're doing a good thing. These same people are taught to hate gun owners. They're taught that gun owners are recklessly and intentionally putting everyone in danger. They're taught that gun owners are the enemy and more government control will protect them from the enemy. Why does anybody need an assault rifle if they're not going to war? I don't think there's any reason to have 33 bullets in a killing machine that you can take into a place like a school. Watch these anti-gun activist groups in action and you can't help but ask yourself if they have any clue what the real results would be if they were successful. So what's the real problem here? Is it really guns or is this about something else? I mean, do guns cause violence? How do we let the gun grabbers hijack the conversation and direct the focus to firearms when we all know we really should be talking about what causes human violence? You see, if we were to look at what causes human violence in this country, we'd be forced to look at gang violence, open borders, sanctuary cities, rampant pharmaceutical drug use, and gun-free zones, all things that the anti-gun political left supports. So to the anti-gunners, why in the world would you want your government to take away your rights? The Second Amendment is not a privilege. It's your right. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to LoadedMike.com. To check out my book series, go to GoodGunBadGuy.net. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break as I fumbled my way through some technical issues. But we do have our guest on the line with me, uh, thankfully. And uh, for those of you who may not be aware, first of all, shame on you. We're talking about a phenomenal investigative journalist. We're talking about a co-author for multiple best-selling books, including the most recent uh, book that he co-authored, a little thing that uh, many of you may be familiar with, especially since I plastered all, all over the show description. We're talking about the Military Guide to Armageddon, battle-tested strategies to prepare your life and soul for the end times. Uh, that's a, a very – very chipper title, but it's something you need to know right now. I got to say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, uh, Mister. Uh, sorry, I'm still fighting some technical issues here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mister. Troy Anderson. Uh, Troy, I apologize greatly over the uh, the issues transitioning over here. We'll we'll be a lot smoother moving forward. Thank you for joining me this evening, and uh, how are you doing? Hi, Tim. It's uh, good to be on your show. I'm doing great. All right. Thank you very much. Now, uh, I, I want to start off uh, with a very basic and fundamental question. I'm sure one that you probably answered more than a few times already, but I like starting uh, as if the audience is fresh. And that is, 
What brought you and the colonel together in the first place to write this book, and what was the motivating factor for pulling this together as you did? Yeah, so what happened was, uh, you know, I've been an investigative journalist for three decades, worked at the LA Daily News for many years. About a, about a decade ago, I went to a, a friend told me about a Bible prophecy conference, and I went to that, and I heard my first co-author, Paul McGuire, uh, make a stunning statement. He said, uh, the world is undergoing the greatest transformation since the Tower of Babel, a coming global government, cashless society, and universal religion. And when he said that, it just struck me, if this is true, this is a gigantic story. So it sort of began this decade-long investigation into Bible prophecy in the end times, and we wrote the Babylon Code of Trumpocalypse. And then after Trumpocalypse came out in uh, 2000, early, early 2018, the colonel got a hold of me out of the blue, Colonel David Giamona, and he had said he'd written a book called The Making of a Warrior, and he was praying, uh, you know, asking God, uh, you know, how, how I, what do I do now? And apparently my name was at the top of his LinkedIn page, and so he got a hold of me. And when he called me, it just struck me. Here's a U.S. Army chaplain and colonel. I knew about these Gallup polls that say like you know, 70%, 80% of the public highly respects the military. It's far higher than any other profession. I think you know, us in the media are down like at 10% or something. And uh, it just struck me if, if America and the church will listen to anybody about the dangers we're facing, about the end times, will listen to a colonel. And so I agreed to help him uh, write this book, and that was sort of the, the, the beginning of this journey to write the Military Guide to Armageddon. All right. Now, clearly, one of the one of the things that we see going on right now uh, that still relates to information that the book delves into is our current crisis on the southern border. Uh, a lot of what I've been trying to bring people's attention to is this uh, great reset uh, that the globalist leftists have uh, in mind, and, and we appear to be kind of playing right along with the uh, the game plan, so to speak, to bring this about. Uh, was this something that you became aware of as you guys were doing the research and putting together this book, or is it just happenstance that so much of what went into uh, – this uh, book happens to be informative with how to kind of push back against that. Yeah, so in my my last book, Trumpocalypse, we actually had a chapter called The Great Reset. Uh, Christine Lagarde at the IMF had talked about that a few years back. And then, you know, of course, you know, last summer, Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum announced this great reset of capitalism with the cover of Time magazine. And you just go on their website and they outline the, the whole plan here. And so, you know, this, this happened, uh, uh, you know, as, as just, just as we're finishing writing the book. And the book, you know, came out in January. And, and essentially what we're watching unfold here, this is what I've been, you know, digging into the last decade is, you know, the elite want to move us into this new world system. This, um, you know, it's actually a push for a, a, some kind of global international system, probably socialist in nature. And uh, that's what they're announcing. It's on the website of the United Nations. The Agenda 2030 is closely connected to it. And all the details are openly out there now, and that's what they're pushing for. And so many things that we see happening, like the you know these changes in the policy at the border, these, these open borders policies, and, and just a you know, cornucopia of things we're seeing happening, it's all sort of the, the, the central focus is they want to move us into this new system. And, and so this, this book is designed to help keep people, get people prepared and, and ready for whatever you know, is coming down the pike next. 
All right. I mean, we really are facing uh, just all kinds of different challenges on multiple fronts, and it, it makes for great material for uh, a talk show host, but it also makes for great material if you wanted to write a horror novel or a dystopian novel because it's some pretty scary stuff. Everything from uh, the apparent desire of the current administration to continue uh, COVID-style lockdowns, it, uh, as long as we behave, maybe we can have our uh, independence back by Independence Day. Uh, the, the effort to create these social credit scores like we've already seen in China, they want to bring that. Uh, the American banking system is moving towards trying to score businesses like that. Uh, just a, a ton of different things. Uh, standard Cloward and Piven effort to collapse uh, the uh, republic from within by overburdening. What would you say was the most eye-opening thing that you have come across during your time as a journalist, whether it went into any of your novels or not? As you were doing – well, I should say books. Novel kind of sounds like fiction, and you're not writing fiction here, so I want to be clear about that. Uh, but during the course of writing the books or even maybe something you haven't worked in yet, what's the the most eye-opening thing you've come across as you've researched this stuff? Well, you know, I, I've done over 200 interviews with with you know major faith leaders, you know, highly respected Bible prophecy experts, and 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 highly respected experts in pretty much every field there is. And on the, on the, the religious side, on the faith side, you know, Billy Graham told me, you know, uh, several years back, he said signs of the end of the age are converging for the first time since Jesus made those predictions. And there's just overwhelming consensus among major faith leaders, everybody from Tim LaHaye, Hal Lindsey, Greg Laurie, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, just, you just go down the list. That they believe this is, you know, we're moving into this period of time the Bible talks about. But what's even, and, and there's a recent Lifeway poll came out, it said nine in 10 pastors now believe we're seeing signs of the end times and current events. But what's more surprising is I interviewed like Noam Chomsky and experts at Oxford and Princeton and Harvard. They have existential risk institutes and they look at the greatest dangers facing humanity. And of course, they, they cite things like, you know, nuclear war, extreme climate change artificial intelligence and asteroid strike, but they also talk about a global totalitarian government is one of the top 10 dangers facing the world. And so I mean, that, that's one of the most stunning things is that even the, you know, these guys at the very prestigious universities see this as, as a threat and we're now watching it happen. I mean, it's, it's almost like George Orwell's 1984 is, is unfolding before our eyes right now. And uh, just, you know, for everything you just mentioned. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because in the segment just before I was uh, trying to reach out and you happened to call me, uh, I literally had asked the audience, uh, which dystopian novel are we more closely akin to at the moment, uh, whether that be Animal Farm 1984 or Brave New World? And uh, I got a great response in the, in the, my chat room saying that uh, uh, we're currently living in uh, the brave new Animal Farm uh, published in 1984. So we've got a good combination of the three. So I, I just kind of find that humorous that you bring up 1984 there as well. Uh, but the the danger here is on – we are seeing a lot of aspects of what – was meant to be a warning, and it almost appears like a certain globalist, elitist type of uh, group out there uh, is attempting to use it as a playbook. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, danger. So as you're trying to utilize some of these battle-tested strategies that you laid out, 
what do you feel like is some of the best information in the Military Guide to Armageddon uh, that you really hope will draw uh, folks to, to buy a copy to, to get the rest of the details? But what, what are some of those best practices that you're recommending? So, so in this book, essentially, the you know the colonel was in the military for three decades. So he takes his three decades of what he learned in the military, the, the wisdom he learned, and it condenses that into the the book is designed to take you through what's called the making of a warrior process. So in the military, uh, they take you through this making of a warrior process, transforming you from a civilian into a soldier who can fight in combat. And so th- this book, you know, take uses those nuggets of wisdom from the military and, and the Bible is full of you know military language and battles and like King David was in 60 of the Bible's 90 battles they actually study they study the Bible at, at West Point and the military colleges because there's so much warfare in there you know it talks about the angels organizing military structure refers to God as the Lord God of armies and things like that so so each chapter sort of takes you through this process to learn the, the, the secrets of spiritual warfare, how to walk in the supernatural power of God, which is going to be key to navigating whatever is ahead of us here. And um, and so each chapter has exercises. It has uh, steps and, and things you can do. And, and, and people have been very inspired and encouraged by this. It, hit, it became a number one bestseller, hit, hit 127 out of 33 million books on Amazon, 150 on Barnes & Noble. So we just got a phenomenal response to this. So it's actually a very encouraging and inspiring book, and uh, it's filled with a lot of hope, actually. So even though we're going through this tough time, there's these challenges, uh, what we believe this is there, there's a lot of hope and, and, you know, that God has, like, a, has a destiny for all of us. And, and this is an unprecedented time to, you know, step up and, and you know, find out what God's uh, purpose uh, for, for all of us is. All right, Troy. Well, uh, obviously, I, I appreciate you uh, coming on with us. Please let all the listeners uh, know where they can find uh, the book. Let them know where they can find your website so they can find some of the other work that you've done as well. And if you're still inviting people to follow you on social media anywhere, feel free to share that as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, so my website's uh, TroyAnderson.us. We also have Battle Ready Ministries. We're doing uh, conferences and spiritual boot camps at churches. That's battle-ready.org. And the book's available via Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book, Target, Walmart, pretty pretty much anywhere uh, book, books are sold. All right. Well, again, thank you so very much. And uh, I do find the topic extremely interesting, especially the comparison, and uh, I hope that we can get together and discuss it in a little more detail uh, sometime in the near future. Thank you so much. It's a great honor. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that, of course, is decades-long, excellent, world-class investigative reporter Troy Anderson. Uh, There is a link in the BTR show description to Troy Anderson's website where you can find uh, all the – books that he has co-written as an author. Uh, and uh, of course, there's also a direct link that will take you to Amazon to The Military Guide to Armageddon, which again is a fantastic read. I, I barely had a chance to scratch into it a little bit, but uh, I certainly am intrigued already with uh, with what I've gotten to. And it does break down this in a very fascinating way, that connection and correlation between the spiritual side of warfare and where the military mind is taken, at least when you're looking to push forward uh, to a spiritual victory. 
and how do you go about that? The Literally the making of a warrior process, and right now, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be a warrior. We need to be prepared to stand up and push back against the forces that are trying to hold us down, whether whether we're looking at something uh, as dark and as evil as Nancy Pelosi or something even far more insidious, spooky dude George Soros, or straight up some of the fallen angels out there that are doing their best to drag humanity down. All right, I'm going to leave that right where it is, and I'm going to go ahead and sneak in an Edwards Notebook and a Songs and Stories for Soldiers and Veterans tip of the day right now, mostly because I didn't get those two in uh, at the uh, mid-hour break. And uh, on Wednesday, I didn't get any of those in at all. We just basically had straight up almost a full hour of conversation with Ron Edwards in the first hour. And then with Dan Perkins in the second hour. So I got to get these in. Uh, stay with me. On the other side, we'll finish up this hour. I recently heard a minister say that President Trump is not in the White House now because of arrogancy and too many tweets. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards on today's page from the Edwards Notebook. So is arrogancy and tweets now more egregious? Than the United States under the Biden doctrine of forcing nations around the world to accept U.S. taxpayer dollars to promote and fund abortions, stop the construction of our southern border wall, block deportation of illegal border crossers, and allow them to roam throughout our republic, rejoin the World Health Organization, the commitment to rejoin the horribly expensive Iran nuclear arms deal, in the Muslim travel ban, force schools to allow transgenders to participate in girls' sports, reverse transgender military ban and stick taxpayers with the cost of paying for transgender operations, reenter the Paris Climate Accords that could help decimate our ability to remain energy independent and allows China to pollute at will, Biden's commitment to fast-track DACA and give millions of illegal border crossers citizenship and amnesty? I don't know about you. But I believe that Biden's agenda will soon prove much more worse than Trump's alleged arrogancy in tweets. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Hello, this is Dan Perkins with your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. Did you know that the unemployment rate for homeless veterans was twice the national average? And without proper shoes, it's hard to get a job? Here's your Veterans Tip of the Day. People from all over the country helped us with our annual Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Shoes and Socks for Homeless Veterans. There was a time this summer where we believed that probably it wouldn't be successful because of the pandemic, but decided to go ahead and do it anyway. We reached out in the local community and on the various radio shows that I'm on, asked for their support. In a little over three weeks, we received 400 pairs of shoes and over 1,000 pairs of socks for homeless veterans so they can go out and look for a job and have a decent pair of shoes to wear. We at Songs and Stories for Soldiers and all the 400-plus soldiers who will receive these shoes and socks say thank you for your generosity. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that, of course, was Mr. Dan Perkins, and before that, you heard Mr. Ron Edwards, both of which for uh, 
extremely extended uh, guest this past Wednesday. Of course, Ron joins me usually uh, almost every Wednesday. And uh, now Dan Perkins will be joining me on the second Wednesday of the month, uh, repeating, at least for the time being. At least that's what he said, and I've got no reason to doubt him, so we'll see if that continues. Uh, It also means that uh, I probably should try to see if I can't round up a reoccurring guest for that second hour for the other Wednesdays uh, in the month. And uh, one of the folks I've been really meaning to get back on the show happens to be in the chat room right now, and so I'll be reaching out to him a little bit later. Uh, yes, Chief, I, I know we've, we've done this, and you had been a regular guest on Sundays, and I've kind of went away from doing the Sunday thing. I'm going to completely reformat Sunday shows once I've made a determination, but the Wednesday thing, if you're so inclined, uh, I'll probably be reaching out to you here very soon if that's okay. Now, next week I've got guests scheduled already. I have already went that far, but uh, uh, I very much would like to uh, hopefully be able – I know you don't plan things that far in the future, understandably, but uh, I'll reach out again later. We'll see if we can't do that if you don't mind. Uh, and in the meanwhile, we've just got a few minutes left uh, in this first hour. And uh, as a result, I'm just going to kind of rehash a little bit of what we've already been talking about as opposed to jumping into a new topic because you know, I tend to get a little long-winded, and I would hate to just completely blow through the midway point. I do still have a few radio stations that are playing one-hour increments, and the programming directors really hate it when they're trying to do the replay, and I just kind of – don't take any type of break at all as I transition from hour one to hour two because, you know, I, I don't blame them. I'd be mad. What I really need to do is get myself a producer and start uh, doing things in an active fashion that would uh, they would keep me on the clock and would do something a little more targeted towards more terrestrial stations and and uh, I had hoped to have uh, some positive news with some of the show growth uh, by now uh, with some of the folks that we've reached out to, but I, from a couple of folks, uh, they've kind of gotten busy and haven't gotten back to me, and I've reached out, and I think maybe part of the reluctance is my previous lack of adherence to a time schedule, which is desperately needed when when you're doing a more traditional show, so… Yeah, I'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You keep uh, stringing me along, (laughs) and you never (laughs) cop. Well, uh, you know, I I will break that bad habit, sir. I I promise. In the meanwhile, uh, yeah, looking back at this, I'm talking a lot about two different books now because our guest, uh, Troy uh, Anderson, who was just on with us, wrote – well, co-wrote a great book having to deal with mental preparedness and being ready for the spiritual battle ahead and then looking and talking about how the Great Reset is also still part of that spiritual battle because all of this is designed to destroy, to crush the spirit of humanity. That's the only way global leftists win. They have to crush our spirit. They have to drive out our love of liberty and our willingness to stand up and defend it. They think they're winning that fight. They they believe in their heart of hearts 
and they're little crust-ridden, blackened lumps of coal that is where their heart should be, that they're winning that battle. They believe it, and you see this in what the Democrats are bringing to the floor of the House and passing. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Casey. You may want to keep reminding me <laughs> so that I don't uh, accidentally disappoint. But yeah, I definitely love having Chief on. Uh, Cajun in the chat room just said, reminder to Tim, have Chief on show soon. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, I need to reach out to some other folks. I would love to have that just recurring spot filled and not have to worry about it. At any rate… That spiritual battle is ongoing. We need to all be prepared to fight it, and if we're not, they will win. They already think they have. What they're not counting on is you, ladies and gentlemen. They're not counting on you loving liberty and being willing to stand up, being willing to fight for the ideas and the concepts, and if necessary – and Lord, I pray it never comes to this, but if it does… If necessary, stand up and fight in the streets. Fight physically, if necessary, for liberty, because too much blood has already been spilled by our great patriots. The men and women who've worn the United States uniforms at the very beginning have been fighting for that notion above all else. The founder of this nation is not based on the 1619 Project. It's not based on uh, the colonialization of the world or the uh, disenfranchisement of African peoples or Native American peoples. It was built on the idea of liberty, religious liberty, personal liberty. And yes, again, just because the nation hasn't always lived up to those high-minded principles doesn't mean we haven't. Always been on that path to get to that point, and we have made so much progress together. Please don't let the left tear apart what we have built together. Don't let them tear away the progress that we have made together. We need our history intact and remembered and taught. We need to not pretend like Booker T. Washington uh, is just a work of fiction. We need to not pretend like… Uh, all of our historical folks are just made up. Uh, they just made it up to inspire people because they wanted people to believe this uh, hokey notion about freedom. Now, we need to know the true history. We need to remember it, and we need to fight for it. That's got to be it for this first hour. So if I'm saying goodbye to you right now and you know who you are because you're listening on the radio, uh, then remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take the other guy's word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Meanwhile, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, you know, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. And for those of you that are here live, though, don't go anywhere as hour number two starts right after this. Above the gun, hear the wind.
across the plain There is no fear that I must contain And I'm in the eye of the hurricane I see the sweat across his brow I'm poised to draw in eternal now of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming live from historic Rowan County, Tennessee, and so very happy to be with you. I am indeed broadcasting live the second hour of a two-hour live broadcast that's happening on March the 12th, 2021, and we are currently a few brief moments after 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that, of course, is for the benefit of those of you who may be listening to the rebroadcast of this show on various radio stations that are kind enough to do that for me. Uh, you know, stations like KYAH, 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority, just to name one example. The first and the longest-running carrier and uh, a 
program that's still a program, a station that still runs this program seven days a week. So I don't know if it's the program manager that really, really likes me or if it's the fine folks of Utah that keeps just lighting up the switchboards and telling him to keep putting on more tap into the truth. Hopefully it's a combination of the two. But either way, uh, you guys keep doing what you're doing, and I'll be happy to keep doing what I'm doing because uh, this is therapy for me, boys and girls, and hopefully I've at least – Help a few of you out along the way, too, because it's crazy times, isn't it? Want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Chief, host of a great show called Simple Facts of Life. He's hanging out in the chat room with me right now. Uh, if you're looking for his show, he, if you're a regular listener to the broadcast, you're probably well aware. But just in case you're brand new, I'm going to tell you one more time. You can go to this really cool place. It's called Blog Talk Radio. Uh, so you go to blogtalkradio.com. Uh, you'll land on that home page, and when you're there, you'll see a little search bar at the top. Now, you can just go ahead and put in QMCUSN, and that'll take you straight away right to his stuff. But if, say for a second that maybe you're driving around or you're out doing something in your yard right now while you're listening to this on the radio, and you get back to your internet a little later, and you're thinking to yourself, what what were those letters again? I, well, in that case, just put in simple facts of life. Now, you'll have to scroll down a little bit, but you'll know it when you see it. And go to the show page, and you can listen to the plethora of great programs he's got in the archives. Or if you're so inclined, have the opportunity, join him live on Tuesdays. He starts at 6 p.m. Eastern most Tuesdays. Every now and then, something pops up. But you can normally count on him. And uh, – Always a great show. Uh, we've also got Crazy Cajun in the house. Crazy Cajun is a fantastic radio producer, currently doing a lot of work for the Ron Edwards American Experience as they're bringing that great program to Mojo Five O. It's, it's a, a fantastic digital platform, by the way. Uh, Mojo Five O dot com is where you want to go there. Check out Ron and all the other great shows they've got going on over there. I want to give a quick shout-out also to some of the other great hosts out there that pop their heads in from time to time, although it's been a little while since I've seen some of them. Uh, shout-out to Ann Ubellis, host of Southern Sense Talk Radio. She was in here with me Tuesday of this week and uh, Wednesday of last week, so uh, glad to have Ann back in here with us. Annie uh, does her thing uh, typically Fridays, a three-hour broadcast on Fridays. You can find her at Blog Talk Radio, but you can also find her in a lot of other places too. So I highly recommend you just go visit her over at southern-sense.com. That's southern-sense.com. And uh, from there, you can choose your preferred method of listening to the show as well as see all the other things that Annie is up to, and there's plenty to keep track of. Uh, Don Smith. Now, uh, Don hasn't popped into the chat room himself very often. There's been a couple of times, but not very often. Uh, Don's better half, however, had been a semi-regular for quite a while, especially back when Kel was, was with us, and she was in here all the time. Uh, <coughs> uh, that was uh, an unexpected cough. I'm not choking up. Uh Chief always accused me of tearing up every time Kel's name is mentioned. If I keep talking about it, I will, so I'm going to move on. But uh, at any rate, the Don Smith Show was a great program in its own right as well. You can find that at Blog Talk Radio as well. Uh, Don gets started at noon on Saturdays. That's noon Eastern. 
Uh, but uh, also a ton of great, great uh, shows back in the archives, so feel free to check that out when you get a chance. Uh, we've also got the Global Patriot Radio Network. Uh, all you have to do is punch that in. Uh, they're at uh, BTR as well. We've got Suzette, host of Suzette Live, uh, part of the Ideas Are Bulletproof Network over at Spreaker.com. Definitely want to make sure I send some folks that way. Great program as well. Uh, Rod Eccles. You can find him at rodeckles.net. Uh, they've just revamped everything over there, and they've got some new shows uh, operating, not only his own show but a few others. Uh, of course, Ron Edwards. I, I can't possibly say enough about Ron, uh, so I will just send you to his website and let him do the talking. Uh, go visit theronedwards.com. And from there, you can learn about the seven pillars of society along with everything else that Ron is up to, including uh, most recent Edwards Notebooks and uh, ways to follow and listen to the Ron Edwards American experience. Is there anybody else I should give a shout-out to? There's probably somebody I forget, the English Defense League. I don't give them enough shout-outs. Uh, you know, there's a ton of other people that I just don't give enough shout-outs to because – well, you know, I could go down a list and fill a five-hour broadcast with the folks that I would like to send you to, and you know that's something I need to get away from. So let's let's get back to some show topics, shall we? I am scheduled to be joined by Dr. Bruce Hartman here at the bottom of the hour. We're going to be talking about some of the recent targets of cancel culture. And uh, I'm sure we'll have an interesting take on that. But some of the headlines that are out there, if you haven't noticed them, they're well worth your time and attention. So please look for some of these stories out there. Uh, we've got uh, Democrats in Oregon that are looking to dish out a $123,000 in reparations to black Oregonians. Uh, just moving forward with the idea of reparations, you guys know my thoughts on it. I think the greatest reparation that could have been uh, paid up to those who actually suffered through uh, has already occurred, and that was through the uh, bestowing of citizenship. Unfortunately, if you happen to be on the left side of the political spectrum, you don't appreciate citizenship, but American citizenship as much as you should. It's not treasured. It's not valued, and they keep working to try to devalue it all the time. We have the United States military actually taking directed shots at Tucker Carlson. Now, Tucker Carlson, in case you've been under a rock and missed it, uh, was cracking wise, I will say, as he made a report about uh, the military's most recent discussions in regard to creating jumpsuits – well, jumpsuits, well, flight suits more specifically. I, I should be accurate. Uh, developing and designing flight suits for pregnant pilots. Now, he made the statement because the idea, the notion, the idea of having a pregnant woman in an active combat zone doesn't set well with most guys. And Okay, so a lot of the would-be feminists and a lot of the leftists who are browbeaten down by the feminazis, as the uh, beloved uh, Brush Limbaugh would have referred to them, um, they're afraid of that idea. They'll call that toxic masculinity. That is such misogyny. But in truth, it is an ingrained response 
Men are hardwired to want to protect females and children. And it's a sorry excuse for a man who doesn't act on that hardwearing. Now, we all know some soy boy, uh, lactose, lactating kind of folks out there that are afraid of their own shadows and wouldn't stand up for anybody if they were forced to. They still wouldn't. That's the kind of fate that we have if all men turn their back on that protective instinct. That's part of what drives humanity's continued existence. So it's understandable that it feels counterintuitive to a reasonable male that uh, it might be a bad idea to develop a flight suit for a pregnant lady because that pregnant lady, while still may be very capable of doing everything she needs to do, probably shouldn't be put in a position where she would have to. Well, okay, if that's misogyny, then I'm a misogynist. I'm sorry. But I do believe for the benefit of the continuation of the species, we probably should embrace that type of misogyny. Now, uh, more legitimately destructive misogynistic behaviors, okay, uh, we can talk about it. I try not to be overtly misogynistic by my understanding of it, but I'm sorry. If you're trying to tell me that men shouldn't be at least cognitive of the fact that women – shouldn't be put in harm's way, and more to the point, pregnant women uh, should definitely not be put in harm's way, then I'm just going to have to live with that title because you're not going to change my mind. Clearly, we also have uh, a lot of headlines still swirling around uh, the governor of New York, uh, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, AOC has finally spoken. We have yet more uh, accusers who step forth. Now, the seventh accuser, we're at eight or nine now, but the seventh accuser actually described something that crossed a line into criminality. Physically assaulted uh, this young lady. And again, I'm going to say something that I'm quite certain Andrew Cuomo would not say into my defense. And that, of course, is. He is entitled to due process. An accusation alone does not make him guilty. Now, again, completely based on my own prejudices, I'm likely to believe the possibility, in fact, even probability of his guilt. But – I'm not a jury of his peers. I'm not a court of law, and he is entitled to that and should be. There is a certain level of absurdity in pointing out the hypocrisy that Cuomo himself has been out there saying, yes, all women should be believed. All women must be believed, and yet look where it's got him. I'm still firmly convinced that this is really still about how terribly, terribly he handled the New York COVID response, how his policies killed a lot of people's grandparents. And worst of all, he then tried to cover it up. He then wrote a book about what a great job he did, what a great leader he was, and got, got an Emmy? Yes, the woke numbskulls are truly numbskulled. It's, it's a true thing. 
But I, I still believe that this is about that. But they think they can try to revive the Me Too movement and hold people like the Orange Man, who is bad, back and out of the way if they hold that same Me Too uh, bravado to some of their own. And it's a really great excuse otherwise. My question still remains, is Cuomo going to continue to refuse to resign? Now, he made a statement today in case you missed it. And again, reminding those of you who are listening to the rebroadcast on radio, uh, the live show was on Friday night on uh, March 12th, just for a reference point. In case you hear me saying he made a statement today and you're like, uh, he made that statement like a week ago. Yeah, a chief in the chat room says that uh, Gillibrand and Schumer have called on Cuomo to resign. Uh, everybody's favorite mayor in New York, uh, de Blasio, has of course said he can no longer serve as governor. And I think it's a huge, huge impactful event when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comes out and says, no, you must resign. But he's still right now refusing. I don't know how much longer he can hold out. If they continue to do this, the Democrats seem serious, at least at this point. Maybe it's still just a bluff, but they seem serious and perfectly willing to potentially impeach him. Now, they, they can't do a recall election in New York. That uh, does not exist, but they can impeach, and an impeachment investigation has been triggered at this point by uh, some members of the Democratic Party. But the statement that Cuomo made today heavily referenced the fact that there may be motivations other than just to tell the truth to make some of these comments, and that it's important for people to understand. <clears throat> he said some things that really sounded to me like maybe they were barbs that, if he thought about it, were aimed more directly at the Democratic Party as a whole than at just his accusers. And maybe that was even by design. He seems to be pretty miffed at the fact that Democrats are running away from him now. They're not circling the wagons the way they normally do for everyone in their ilk. But uh, he did say one thing that I still take huge exemption with because it's the same thing, the same thing that Joe Biden said when he was credibly accused, and that is that uh, these women have a right to come forward and to have their stories heard. Now, here's the thing. I agree with that if everything they're telling you is true. However, when the things that they say you did constitutes criminal behavior, sexual assault, not just a little harassment, not just a little mouthy language, not just a little something that uh, you can clear up by just saying uh, – uh, yo, you know, uh, Andrew, I know you're a big deal, you know, and, and all that, but no thank you. If that's enough to get it done, or maybe a well-placed knee to certain parts of the male anatomy, if those things are enough to take care of it, then maybe you can tell the tall tales out of school, as they used to say. But if you're telling me that somebody literally crossed the line into criminal conduct, criminal behavior, actual sexual assault, which has been done in Cuomo's case now and was done at Joe Biden before they installed him as the current resident of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, 
If that is a lie, if it is untrue, then those women do not have a right to do that. You do not have a right to just go around and accusing people willy-nilly and trying to destroy their lives. You don't. So I'm sorry, Democrats. You painted yourself into a position where basically you painted yourself into this corner and you got no way out. Well, here's your way out. Stop saying stupid stuff like you've got a right to be heard. Say something more along the lines of every legitimate accuser should be heard, but if you are not legitimate, you don't have a right to say these vile, nasty, untrue things. There's not enough passion on the defense part of this, which is part of also why it kind of sounds like maybe they're just stalling. Maybe they did something that maybe they didn't think was such a big deal, but they're trying to get away with now. Again, due process, maybe they got a right to due process, and I am just a commentator saying what it looks like from where I'm sitting. And from where I'm sitting, all I'm hearing is people throwing accusations. I don't know. So take it for what it's worth. And by the way, in case you missed the whole point of that statement, it ain't worth much. I can't tell you he did it. I can't tell you which of these women are telling you the truth and which aren't or if they all are or if none of them are. I can't because I don't know. In Cuomo's case, Cuomo knows. Well, well I assume he knows. Maybe he, some of this stuff – I mean it's – some of the stuff has been ongoing to the point that maybe he doesn't remember some of it. Which I'm sure was also Joe Biden's excuse. I don't. Uh, she seems like a nice lady. No, no, Joe. She she says you digitally penetrated her. Really, I would have thought I would have remembered that. Why does my old man start to sound more like an old <laughs> Bill Clinton? At least uh, where I'm setting it sounds like. Anyway, it's. Utterly ridiculous. But that's where we're at. Those are some of the other stories. I'm going. To, clearly, we still have a crisis on the southern border. However, depending on who you ask, it's still just a challenge. Or uh, more recently, no matter what you call it, uh, we still have a series of tasks that we must perform in order to, to better do our jobs. So you're just refusing to call it anything. Guess what? That doesn't stop it from being a crisis, lady. That doesn't save you at all. So what do we do from that point forward? Where do we go? I mean I would love to have some idea. I would love to see this crystal ball. The Democrats have the long knives out. They are coming for Cuomo. I still – I don't think they have the political willpower to go through with their uh, – Their decision to impeach. But if they continue down the current path that they're going down, they're going to paint themselves into a corner where they may not have much of a choice unless they drag it out until it just makes more sense to wait to the next election and let the voters decide. You know, a lot like what the federal government should have done with the orange man who was bad for that uh, second time. Of course, they're still afraid he's going to return, and they were still kind of hoping against hope that the insurrection uh, might have been enough to get some Republicans bullied into voting along with them. And they were thinking, if we can prevent him from coming back later, that'll be a win. 
but do they? I don't know. I, I still have a hard time. <laughs> the person that didn't sound like Cartman. Seriously, you guys. That's it. Screw you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> uh, all right, now now I'm in the chat room. I, I all of my various voices are now being critiqued, and I don't practice them enough to be good at them anymore. I I used to have a really good British accent and a really good Australian accent. In fact, <laughs> I probably shouldn't uh, tell this story, but in my early twenties, I uh, was doing an Australian accent to the point that I had convinced. Some people that I was a foreign exchange student, and they were believing it. And it's ah, uh, the the evils of youth when you are male. <laughs> and some real toxic masculinity going back then. But anyway, that's just some of the headlines, some of the things going on. Should be an interesting week. Yeah, guess what? You got a check coming. Most of you, some of you don't. Some of you are still waiting for earlier checks, but yes, uh, that's done. Uh, when I was on Wednesday night, the reporting was uh, Biden would sign the Recovery Act uh, on Friday, which would have been today, time of the live broadcast. He skipped ahead and did it on uh, Thursday instead. So uh, they said that clearly this was an, an effort to expedite the process and start getting the money flowing. Now, clearly there's a lot of union members and a lot of Progressive wish list type folks and a lot of political supporter payback money. They're waiting for their checks, and that's probably why they're really hurrying that up, just FYI. But uh, yeah, I heard some pundits saying that uh, it, given that he got around to signing it on Thursday, that there's a chance that some Americans may see those first direct deposit checks hit their banks this weekend. All right, well, I'll be looking. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't expect to see it quite that quickly, but uh, hey, uh, doesn't hurt me to check. Anyway, maybe some of you guys might want to check too. I, I don't, uh, I don't feel good about it though. I, I, this was a horrible bill. Every bill that's being pushed through right now is horrible, absolutely horrible. Uh, this is destructive to the economy. Uh, it's a bunch of bloated spending. And less than ten percent of this bill is going to anything directly related to COVID. That's your first clue that it's a horrible bill. We're devaluating the dollar even more, and they're creating uh, a series of dependency that they're now starting to, to talk about as if it is intended to start permanent entitlements. They're fighting against poverty now, guys. They're fighting against poverty. And just writing checks does not solve poverty. It doesn't. <clears throat> the war on poverty… We, we've been fighting that one a while, guys. Let's look at the historical facts. Oh, I forgot. There is no more history. If it didn't happen five seconds ago, it's already been memory hold. So there's nothing to go check out now. We have nothing historically to look at to see how miserably failing the notion of just sending out checks is when it comes to fighting poverty. You fight poverty by giving people a standard of living that involves their – Equity in the resolution. Remember, equity is not what the current administration, Operation P-Pads and Knee Pads, is not getting the idea of equity right. 
true equity is something that you build over time, something you invest in. That's how equity is brought about. You invest. You put in time, effort, energies. That's how equity is built. And again, I will say that anytime you do anything to artificially uh, manipulate equity in anything, all you do is devalue whatever it is you're trying to build that equity in, and you devalue the person who this equity you're bestowing upon. But there's a reason why they use that word instead of equality, because equality's not good enough anymore, guys. Uh. Chief in the chat room uh, said that uh, Biden had to sign it on Thursday. Matlock reruns were on Friday. <laughs> that danged old White House TV schedule. And that's uh, that's the real reason why we haven't seen Biden. I loved the signing ceremony, though. Every presidential signing ceremony should be like the uh, <laughs> the uh, rescue bill was. Um, he just walked out and said, uh, thanks, everybody, for coming here. Blah, blah, blah. I signed it, and he got up and shuffled off. Thanks, everybody. I'm out. I mean, just should have done a pin drop instead of a mic drop. That's what they all should be. Yep, uh, signing the bill. Uh, see you guys. Take a picture. I'm out. That would be great. All right. Let's do uh, an Edwards notebook, and while we're doing that, we'll uh, see if I can't connect with uh, Dr. Hartman. You guys stay right where you're at. I'll be back right after this. The 46th Executive Branch Administration has embarked on its promised mission to erase all vestiges of the Trump administration and good Christian virtues. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, such endeavors can only spell disaster for our republic. But please allow me to share a few thoughts spoken by Charles Malik, Lebanon's ambassador to the United Nations General Assembly in 1959. Quote, the good in the United States would never have come into being without the blessing and power of Jesus Christ. Whoever tries to conceive the American word without taking full account of the suffering and love and salvation of Christ is only dreaming. I know how embarrassing this matter is to politicians, bureaucrats, businessmen, and cynics. But whatever these honored men think, the irrefutable truth is that the soul of America is at its best and highest Christian. Unquote. During the Trump administration, many such references were made concerning protecting religious liberty, parental rights, the unborn, ending human trafficking, and pedophilia. But now all those efforts are frowned upon by the 46th administration. May God have mercy on our nation. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins for your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Did you know that the VA drastically expanded telehealth during the pandemic? Telehealth allows you to stay in your home and visit with the doctor. Prior to the outbreak of the epidemic, the VA system conducted about 2,500 telehealth video sessions daily. Today, it's increased a thousand percent with more than 25,000 telehealth calls every day. Here's your veterans tip of the day. Make contact with your local VA facility and find out how you can enroll in telehealth. It'll improve the quality of your care. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us Veterans Tip of the Day. It's not so unbelievable that governments would want to disarm their citizens, 
but that citizens would beg to be disarmed by their government is a much scarier thought. We've seen government control most recently in Venezuela where citizens are left to defend themselves against a violent government by throwing rocks because not too long ago they were disarmed by that very government under the guise of gun safety. Gun control laws like the ones in Venezuela are exactly what our political left in America would like to see here. As a mother, I am terrified. I have four children in our public school system, and if they knew that their teachers were potentially carrying a gun... They want to be disarmed by our government so badly that they protest in the streets, demanding that government take away their rights. All for that assault weapons ban, to keep these weapons of war out of the hands of civilians who do not need them. All for the prohibition of high-capacity magazines, because no hunter will ever need access to a magazine that can kill 17 in mere minutes. How does this happen? Well, it's complicated, but it starts with very powerful propaganda targeted at people who can't think. People who have been taught to believe that freedom is dangerous. People who can't think for themselves are targeted from many directions, schools, movies, news sources, and even their own friends and family. And once they're on board with the anti-gun fear campaign, they continue to perpetuate the irrational gun fear. Well, they have to justify their position, right? Also, yeah. don't need home protection. Um, oh. You don't. You don't need guns for home protection. You don't want to bring more guns into a situation. The answer to solving violence is not more violence. Gun fear is cultivated purely for the purpose of gun control support. But the people who spread it don't always know that they've been misled. They think they're doing a good thing. These same people are taught to hate gun owners. They're taught that gun owners are recklessly and intentionally putting everyone in danger. They're taught that gun owners are the enemy, and more government control will protect them from the enemy. Why does anybody need an assault rifle if they're not going to war? I don't think there's any reason to have 33 bullets in a killing machine that you can take into a place like a school. Watch these anti-gun activist groups in action, and you can't help but ask yourself if they have any clue what the real results would be if they were successful. So what's the real problem here? Is it really guns, or is this about something else? I mean, do guns cause violence? How do we let the gun grabbers hijack the conversation and direct the focus to firearms when we all know we really should be talking about what causes human violence? You see, if we were to look at what causes human violence in this country, we'd be forced to look at gang violence, open borders, sanctuary cities, rampant pharmaceutical drug use, and gun-free zones all things that the anti-gun political left supports. So to the anti-gunners, why in the world would you want your government to take away your rights? The Second Amendment is not a privilege. It's your right. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to LoadedMike.com. To check out my book series, go to GoodGunBadGuy.net. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am back, and I haven't been able to get a hold of Dr. Hartman. I tried uh, a few times, uh, went to voicemail, um, left a message. So I'm going to kind of keep an eye on the uh, switchboard, and we will see uh, if he can give us a call back here in a little bit. And if he does, we'll pick that conversation up. Because I really do want to get his take on some of this 
insanity from the cancel culture that we've seen recently. Uh, we've commented a little bit as it's come out, but you know, the disclaimer warnings on the Muppet Show, uh, Disney putting disclaimers uh, on some of the Disney classics like Dumbo, for example, and not allowing them to show up on the playlist for kids. You know, uh, if you're familiar with the Disney Plus uh, platform, which some of you I'm sure are. Uh, I was before I canceled over the whole Colin Kaepernick thing, and they've only done things worse since then. If I hadn't then, I would have canceled after the firing of Gina Carano because that was just horrible. And there's only one thing that gets Disney's attention, and that is when they take a hit in cash. Now, it wouldn't be enough, and, and I haven't called for people to – uh, boycott the Disney Plus. I haven't called for people to cancel their subscriptions, but you know it is a good way to get their attention. So if you're inclined and that's the kind of thing you want to do, I certainly wouldn't try to talk you out of it either. Uh, I had done so, and I've just been public about it. I, it's just insanity the things that they're trying to do. I don't like the idea these folks want to lecture me on what I should deem as acceptable uh, when they're literally making movies uh, – looking at you, live-action Mulan – in parts of China where the Uyghur concentration camps are being ran and operated. They even gave a special thanks in the credits to the regional provincial leadership of that region because they kind of helped them. I, I would imagine they probably had some Uyghur laborers helping uh, to build the Disney sets or something. I don't know. But uh, you, know, you, you thank these people. Uh, they want the dollar signs that they think uh, they can get out of China, and the whole idea that there is a line you should draw, well, that doesn't occur to them. But anyway, I digress. Uh, going down a rabbit hole, I really don't want to go down. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think it's an interesting conversation. When you look at the neutering of Mr. Potato Head, when you look at uh, this effort to uh, do away with Pepe Le Pew and Speedy Gonzalez, I mean, come on. And they don't even get the ideas right. But these are people that are so disconnected from the reality of understanding, first and foremost, trying to judge things from uh, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, by the current moral standards of the woke. Uh, it's unreasonable. It's an unreasonable expectation. And most of these people, if they're older than a Gen Zer, then they probably have something somewhere in a public forum that would be considered problematic and a cancelable event. We're going to cancel you now because you did this back then. But the point here is there's a pattern. There's a pattern of who they're targeting. Why do you target a kid's toy, uh, particularly a kid's toy, a toy that is often played with with preschoolers and up. Why do you target uh, cartoons, uh, classic Looney Tune cartoons from Warner Brothers? Why do you target uh, these classic Muppet shows that's now available on Disney? Why do you target Dr. Seuss, or at least part of Dr. Seuss? Why do you target them? Well… I've made this correlation before on the show, and I want to reiterate it because I think we've seen it. They have 
graded their success and seen that they are more successful in indoctrination the earlier they get the kids. They used to focus on college kids. Well, that worked fairly well, but there were still plenty of them that wised back up afterwards and said, hey, you know what? That's crazy. So then they started targeting high school kids. We target them in high school. We give a double dose of that indoctrination in college. Well, then it lasted longer, and some of them went all the way through their adulthoods and never lost it. And then they're like, well, we're still losing some of these folks, so let's start the indoctrination even earlier. So then they get into these junior highs and then grammar schools and and now elementary schools and now preschools and and Sesame Street and, and everywhere they have a chance for social engineering. It's an effort to target these kids for indoctrination. It's an effort to try and control their wokeness, which actually woke behavior uh, shows an, an active lack of being awake. You can't be awake and be woke. It's just not possible. You, you're living in a delusional uh, mindset, and you're there. You're trapped. You're trapped in this delusional mindset, and the worst part is that you believe your reality is the real one and that the people outside of it don't deal in reality. In fact, I had a conversation just today with an elementary age school child, not mine, where they were talking about TikTok. I'm like, wow, man, I don't think it's a good idea to have uh, that TikTok uh, app on your phone there. you got some sensitive information you may not want ciphered in to various members of the Chinese Communist Party. And the response I got was, wow, I can't believe somebody as smart as you are, which you know, I was like, ooh, wow, <laughs> they think I'm smart. It shows you how young they are. <laughs> but they said, I can't believe somebody as smart as you are believes in that kind of a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy theory that China's had a huge percentage of ownership of the company that created TikTok. It's a conspiracy theory that China, who openly, actively admits in public forums left and right that that they use data mining operations on all kinds of social media platforms and certainly have that type of access on anything that they have some level of ownership to. It's a requirement for their investment in such a thing. Now, at that point, rather than me continuing that conversation, someone else intervened and made the statement, I am really saddened by the fact that you think that that's just a conspiracy theory rather than not knowing information from the real world. And then that individual went, Along the list of explaining exactly why it was real and that uh, several representatives of the Chinese government have been caught, uh, not in the United States and not speaking English, but have been caught admitting that, yes, that's what they do. In fact, bragging about it, happy to acknowledge it. I mean, my goodness gracious, what are we really talking about? (coughs) I, I made the point that all social media sites do data mining on people that are members. That's part of the business model. That's how they uh, manage to garner advertising revenue. They've got something to sell, our information. 
after this child thought about it and then had two credible sources, but they deem us credible, they decided, well, maybe I should rethink this. It's like, well, yeah, maybe you should before throwing around the modicum of conspiracy theory. You see, the problem with most conspiracy theories is a lot of those are conspiracy facts. But hey, it just proves that the indoctrination is in full effect, and they're utilizing that terminology to try and discredit anybody who says something different than what they want taught to those kids. So if you still got a kid in school, you best be doing your best to counteract whatever level of indoctrination is going on on a daily basis. I know that's what I did when my kids were still in uh, school, and I still try to have the conversations to make sure that the legacy media – isn't seeping in and kind of taking hold. Gotta gotta fight that business. All right. Uh, also happening today, I'm I'm shifting gears. I'm going to try to sneak in one more topic because I don't think Dr. Hartman is going to give us that call back at this point. Uh, if he does, we'll still flip back over. But I did want to talk about the fact that uh, the family of George Floyd just became multimillionaires today. Well. The announcement was made that they will be. Uh, it may be a minute before they see that check come in, but the Minneapolis City Council unanimously – that means every one of them for those of you who may be new to the show and are accidentally stumbling upon us from a left-leaning political viewpoint uh, – unanimously approved a $27 million settlement with the family of George Floyd. Do I – do I have to say the rest of the description from the article? Because I'm reading an article right now. Uh, of course, they have to tell you who George Floyd is because nobody remembers anything from more than five minutes ago, right? Nobody remembers the memory hole. George Floyd's been put in the memory hole too. I wish BLM hasn't went away. BLM, the organization. BLM, the Marxist uh, revolutionist. <clears throat> Hello, I am a Marxist revolutionary, and Black Lives Matter. Well, yeah, Black Lives Matter, buddy, but what's that got to do with a Marxist overthrow? Mm, doesn't, but people will send us checks if that's what we call ourselves. Ah, good marketing. Uh, branding is everything, right? Anyway, the description here of George Ford being the black man whose death while in custody of the Minneapolis Police Department sparked protest and violent unrest across the nation. Uh, yeah, okay, I guess as long as you include the violent part there, riots and insurrections. Anyway, Ben Crump, the attorney representing Floyd's family, announced the multi-million dollar settlement uh, saying it was historic. And thanks city leadership for putting the civil lawsuit to rest and for focusing on policy changes in the aftermath of Floyd's death. This agreement is a necessary step for all of us to begin to get some closure. Really? $27 million is what's necessary to start closure? Uh, this was a statement made by Rodney Floyd, though, one of Floyd's brothers. I, I'm, I'm curious. That's what's necessary to start the closure? I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand. I wait. How? I want some closure. Can I have some closure, please? I. I don't even need that much to to start. Now, obviously, it's not enough 
for full closure. But that's enough to start to get some closure. How do I know? Because Rodney Floyd told us right there. <laughs> He's one of George Floyd's brothers, by the way, in case you're not familiar. And uh, he went on to say that George's legacy for those who loved him will always be his spirit of optimism, that things can be better. And we hope this agreement does just that, that it makes things a little better for Minneapolis and holds up a light for communities around the world. Uh, hold on. Can you say that again, only this time uh, say what it really means? Oh, you won't? Well, well, allow me then. I'm going to interpret now for Rodney Floyd. Why? Because I'm immensely qualified to do so. Uh, don't believe me? Just ask me later. I'll tell you. George's legacy for those who loved him will always be a spirit of optimism and that things could be better. Why was George Floyd high on fentanyl if his spirit of optimism that things would be better was so good, so strong, so clear, so shining to everyone? Why did he feel the need for fentanyl to be a major part of his life? Why did he have enough fentanyl in his system to kill most large mammals like elephants and whales? Oh, Tim, there you go, trying to judge the man uh, instead of the actions of that clear white supremacist racist uh, police officer. And all police are bad, and the orange man is bad, and there's a climate uh, arsonist over to the left. Oh, yeah, clearly. Clearly that's me. That's where I'm at. I'm supporting the killer cops. They're just out taking down their limits you know, because you know, whenever you go hunting, uh, there's usually a limit on whatever season it is. Uh, oh, but let me continue. I'm sorry, I, I'm getting hung up on that part alone. There's so much more in that statement because then he says, mm, "And we hope this agreement does just that—that that it makes things a little better in Minneapolis." Well, it's going to make things a little better in Minneapolis for the Floyd family as long as they stay in Minneapolis. I'll be curious to see how long they stay in Minneapolis now that they have the 20-plus million dollars to move somewhere a little nicer. I'm guessing they're going to make their way somewhere else. I'm also guessing they'll be back because I don't think these people have the financial know-how to – Stay there. They're going to be like lottery winners. We we keep seeing stories of these lottery. If somebody who wins the lottery is already reasonably well off, they typically hang on to that money quite well. But if somebody wins the lottery that was completely flat broke when they got it, usually they're flat broke again somewhere within a year to two years. You know why? Because they never learn to handle money. They never learn to be responsible. That's a special skill set that they need to learn, and you can't trust other people to do it. Don't think suddenly you're going to be rich, and then you can just hire somebody to watch your money. Just ask people like, I don't know, MC Hammer, Billy Joel, just anybody who's ever had money and had it all go away. People will take advantage of you if you don't know how to handle your money. It will be gone. A fool and their money are soon parted. Now, I'm not saying these guys are fools, but I'm saying if you don't have the know-how and the skill set to handle this on your own, you're going to get taken by someone you trust. So you're going to be broke again. These people are, are going to move out of town. They're going to go broke. Then they're going to have to move back. 
They hope that they make things a little better in Minneapolis and then hold up a light for communities around the country, meaning, hey, guys, next time one of y'all act up and get shot by a police officer or gets choked out by a police officer, their city should make you billionaires too. That's the example you're trying to set? Oh, my goodness gracious. It's a suburb of an – would you stop it? Making fun of how I'm saying Minneapolis. Just stop it. There are some things my East Tennessee tongue shows up for no matter how I try to enunciate. Leave me alone. <laughs> Says I'm saying to people that I love having on the show and love having in the chat room. Uh, clearly I don't mean it, but uh, I'm doing things that you can't see right now. I'm raising my hands up. I'm shaking my head. I, what else can you say? How utterly ridiculous is this? Now, I don't. I honestly, I really don't mean to belittle the fact that George Floyd should still be alive today. He should. George Floyd did not die because he had some medical condition, some underlying medical condition that took him out. According to the autopsy, however, George Floyd also did not die because Derek Chauvin put his knee on the back of his neck and held him in place after he refused to stay in the police officer squad car after he was taken into custody for trying to pass a fake $20 bill. He died because he had too much freaking fentanyl in his system. Again, uh, according to the autopsy, I'm not pulling this out of nowhere. I'm not making this stuff up like a lot of people on the left are still talking about Brianna Taylor and how she was shot to death in her bed. Nope, she was shot because she was standing in a doorway, and that piece of crap boyfriend of hers basically used her as a human shield when the cops came in, and he started shooting at them. Now, the fact that this judge has dismissed that case with prejudice, saying that uh, he was engaged in self-defense. I'm sorry. Y'all were hanging out with drug dealers. What do you expect? When you have to defend your home because you're expecting whoever's breaking the way. And I'm still kind of questioning whether or not they knew it was the cops or not, because according to people that were there, their neighbors, people that were multiple doors away, people that were just on the same block who came to see what's going on, they said they heard the police knocking and announcing themselves. So how is it within that home you did? Because they had a no-knock warrant that had been approved, but they didn't execute the warrant as no-knock. That is something else that keeps being lied about to this day in the Breonna Taylor case. But no, no, all that's done now. Homeboy's off scot-free. He was just engaging in self-defense. You know what? And if he honestly believed that might have been drug dealer trying to come after Brianna and he was trying to defend her, then hey, fine. That's that's what self-defense is. And if that's what he convinced that judge and convinced the jury of folks that that's what he was doing, okay, fine. But it still seems odd to me that that defense flies given all the eyewitness testimony of the multitude of people that were in and around that the cops had to run off. St. Paul. <laughs> that, that city just west of St. Paul is pronounced Minneapolis. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, soon to come, Raceland, Louisiana. 
will be renamed because it's racist. <laughs> I don't doubt that, Cajun. I don't doubt that. I, everything is racist. Uh, that's just where we're at. And don't you dare challenge them on it, or the woke crew is going to show up and and bring you all the white fragility, be less white training that your tiny little minds can allow to be pressed into it, because that's the plan. Absurdity. Uh, create racism, call it anti-racism, and then go be racist uh, just against other people. Gotta love it. I don't know. George Floyd should not be dead. Okay, and it was – I will tell you, it was a horrible look to see Derek Chauvin to have his knee on the back of this guy's neck. It was. And in fact, looking at the footage, saw the same footage everyone else did. I was there, and I was like, this is horrible. This is ridiculous. This should not be allowed. But as more facts came out, as more information came out, you know, the things that the legacy media doesn't want you to know, the things that the leftists who are pushing this narrative don't want you to know, it looks less and less like bad behavior on the part of Derek Chauvin and the other police in Minneapolis and much more like bad behavior on the part of this optimistic man uh, who engaged – in a ridiculous overdosing of himself of fentanyl, which is a dangerous drug to begin with, even when you're not taking enough to OD on. It's still dangerous. <sighs> but hey, that closure, how much is closure worth to you? Well, in the case of the Floyd family, it seems to be $27 million. Seems a little cheap to me. Those folks probably should have paid more. All right, that's going to have to be it for tonight, mostly because if I say anything else, I think I'm going to pop a gasket. Uh, in the meanwhile, thank you so very much for being here. Special shout-out once again to both Chief and Cajun, who both basically hang out for the whole show. In fact, Chief was for the entirety of the show. He managed to get into my chat room before my computer was showing me that my chat room was open. He was there waiting, so clearly the whole show. Thank you guys for being here, and thanks to each and every one of you folks for listening. I greatly appreciate it. And if you are listening on Terrestrial Radio somewhere, uh, or if you previously listened on Terrestrial Radio and you're now listening to the podcast version, but you have a local station that plays shows like this, uh, reach out to those folks. Let them know that you like this show and would like to see it there. Uh, you know, because I'm looking to grow the reach of the station again. Hey, we really, really need to get that growth going because, hey. It's America, and more people need to hear some common sense. It's my East Tennessee tongue brings the wisdom of the ages, or at least what passes for it in my mind. Anyway, that's, like I said, going to be it for tonight. I will see you guys. We've got guests scheduled again starting next Tuesday, so tune in for that. So it means I'll be right back here on BTR Tuesday and Wednesday, most likely Friday. Like I said, I'm still tweaking the Sunday reformatting, so... Uh, if I can get there, maybe going live, probably we'll still do the Sunday show over a Spreaker as opposed to here, but it depends. We'll, I'll make announcements. You guys who follow the show, you'll know once it's ready. In the meanwhile, don't take my word for any little thing I've said. No, not a bit, but please, please don't take the word of somebody like, I don't know, uh, Jim Acosta. Just don't take his word for it either. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, to use your brain. If you really want to tap into the truth. And meanwhile, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, be smart out there, folks, please, even if it kind of goes against your nature. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'm out.
is using both hands. Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep. To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep. Now in Hitler, now in mean Pol Pot, they told the things that you never forgot. Is using both hands Well I prefer the 308 to the tiny two to three Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my family Using both hands.